So I had last night one of those mountain nights that happen when we have a storm like this. And I have three very large fir trees down in my property, as well as an oak tree. And not too much sleep, so when it came time to prepare a talk today, which I wanted to do early in case my power went out, which it did, I thought, well, I'll do something that I'd like to talk about. It will be easy to organize and think about and make me happy to talk about. And that, after all, is what this series is supposed to be, are topics that are dear to my heart. So I did that, and then even though I wasn't sure it was finished, I printed it out because I might lose my power, which I did. And then when it was time to come here, I forgot the talk. (laughs) So my notes are there, and here I am. And the topic is loving kindness and forgiveness. So that seemed pretty easy, that that one of the places that is hardest to work with, with kindness and its particular flavor of forgiveness, is ourselves. And so tonight I just wanted to walk around that whole subject again, and I'm not quite sure how it's going to come out. I can't even entirely, I'm tired enough so I don't entirely remember the order of the talk that I ended up with, but I do remember some of the components, so we'll see how it works out. So I thought I'd start with a quote that I, that I don't have with me, a story um, from Desmond Tutu that I found on a blog of his this week. And in the blog, he's talking about forgiveness. And he tells this quite amazing story about um, in South Africa when they were having that whole series of hearings and trials after the things had changed. And, um, and so there was to be um, a trial for a group of people, um, military people, who had fired on protesters. And I presume had done some harm. And so the, it was an incident that had provoked a lot of anger and upset for all of the obvious reasons when it <coughs> happened. And people were still angry and upset. And so these, um, the hall was filled with people who were, um, you know, still filled with pain and suffering from that incident. And the four <coughs> men who were accused came in, including the person who was the officer of the group. And the accusation was read out as to what they had done. And then the officer stepped to wherever he was able to step and turned to the audience and he said, I want to apologize. And Desmond Tutu apparently was there and he, he actually invited everyone to just stop and to take in what had happened. That, because what, what happened when he asked, he said, I want to apologize, was that the hall burst into applause. So I, I think it's a very interesting story because so often when I've talked about forgiveness, you know, Lots of people don't even like it. I heard somebody who were rumbling around about it before the sit tonight, and the word forgiveness went floating through, and someone said, oh, it sounds terribly Catholic. 
you know. And so, you know, it's not, it's, it's a word that we don't always like, and it implies maybe that you're going to pretend something didn't happen, that did happen, or that you're going to look the other way, kind of a denial. And the thing that's wonderful about this story is that the healing moment comes because everyone is being very real about what happened, including, of course, in this case, the people who did it, which is not something that we get all the time. And um, it's, I think, a very interesting place in working with the heart that the, the opening of the heart and the and the creating space in the heart doesn't come when we pretend something didn't happen. It actually comes when we are willing to sit fully and totally with what did happen. So all of you, or probably all of you, most of you anyway, are familiar with loving-kindness practice. We do it here every week. Many of you have sat metta retreats. Metta is the Pali word for loving-kindness. Um, you know all of the different phrases and the ways to think about it and, and how important it is. And what we stress a little less is that forgiveness is actually a really important part of loving-kindness practice. It's, it's sometimes um, you're, we're invited to do it before we start the practice, and um, it's definitely a particular aspect of the open and kind mind. So, hmm. in the opening phrases of the Metta Sutta, it says, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. A wonderful opening phrase. And it's so important, I think, because that line by one who is skilled in goodness is one that I don't think I can hear enough because I still, at my age, labor under the impression sometimes that somehow I'm just supposed to be innately good, right? You're just, I don't know, supposed to know how to be good. <coughs> Maybe you weren't raised the same way I was, but... Um, that sense that it's just there, and if you just do it right, you could be good. And so the sense that, that goodness is a skill that we can develop is a really wonderful and very helpful idea that this is a training that we take on. We take on the training of loving-kindness, and we take on the training of forgiveness. So forgiveness is also not something that is just there. And, you know, again, in sort of common parlance, it's so easy to say, oh, just forgive them, or just forget. Get over it. Get over it. You know, get over it. And sometimes whatever it is that you're being invited to get over is really painful and really difficult. Or look at the story about these people in South Africa. You know, you don't just get over armed men turning on protesters. It's not done. You can't do it that way. And the heart, the awakened heart, doesn't exclude anyone. So, 
um, the um, the sutta goes on to that wonderful phrase about all beings, you know, extending goodwill to all beings. And here's always the catcher, you know, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, that whole long list of different kinds of beings. But I always, it almost takes my breath away when I get to that line, like omitting none. So that's really a challenge. Can we develop a heart that is big enough so that you don't have to exclude any being? And you know, it's fine. You might even be sitting here on the cushion saying, yeah, I could probably do that. I keep my heart open. But we all know that it's not so easy, you know, this. And we were talking on Tuesday night at the Committed Students Group, you know, it's the holiday season, right? And so if you want to see where you're not cooked yet, go have your family reunion that at Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's, whenever you do it, and Aunt Bessie is there, and one more time she does her thing, and you get to find out where you're not cooked yet, where you still are reactive, where the heart shuts down in that place that so often happens with families because families really know where to stick their fingers, where it will hurt. And um, and we continue to do it sometimes when we get together. And so this awakened heart, this heart, if you will, of the bodhisattva, so this being that is wanting to be there for all beings, is is a heart that excludes no one. So one of the most important teachers in my entire practice life has been the Dalai Lama. And and he's not been the kind of teacher that, you know, like I get to sit down with him in this kind of space and here's the Dalai Lama and I'm out there someplace. I wish that were true, but it's not. Um, but I have had the great blessing of being in his presence and and reading much of what he's, or a lot of what he's written, not all by any means. And um, he's prolific. And, um, and just listening to this man who is able to talk about um, the people who have so oppressed his people, you know, the communist Chinese, and refer to them as my friends, the enemy. And you know when he says it, if you've ever heard him, you know this really well, that he really means this, that there's some way in which he has taken them to be his friends, his heart is open to them, he's concerned for them, and they are the enemy. So he's not pretending they're not the enemy either. You know, these are my friends, the enemy. And many of his followers, different lamas, monks and nuns, have been in Chinese prisons and have been tortured, have had that remarkable statement when they come out that the thing that scared them most was that they might lose their compassion. Isn't that amazing? And you think, there you are, in, this, in really terrible circumstances and being tortured, and what you're worried about is will you lose your compassion for the people who are doing the torturing. So that's, you know, when I hear stories like that, I think, oh, you know, having a heart that can be that spacious and that big, that's a pretty amazing thing. So 
that brings me back then to the notion that this is a training. This is this is not a heart. You know, you, you just don't start out with a heart that's big like that. We don't as human beings. And so it's a training that we take on. Everyone in this room has taken it on because you're here. You might like to think you haven't taken it on. Maybe you're just considering it, but I'm afraid if you're here, it's probably too late. And so you're already, you put one foot on the path, or maybe six or eight, and a number of you have been around for a long time. So you're really working on this training. And it's a training in, in opening the heart, in kindness, and in forgiveness that can take a very, very, very long time. And it's very tough. And so there are ways that we do it. You know, you're familiar with loving-kindness practice where we have the phrases. Um, there's practices, similar practices for forgiveness where we extend forgiveness to, um, we ask for it usually is the way it starts first and then you extend it to yourself. That's a very tricky one. And then last of all, you extend it to people who have harmed you. So again, sort of having phrases, creating that sense of, may I forgive myself. And the instruction is in loving kindness and in forgiveness that these are practices that you do whether you feel like it or not. Isn't that interesting? I always think that's one of the most interesting places. Because somehow you think, well, if I'm going to do loving kindness practice or I'm going to do forgiveness practice, I should be feeling kind of kind and forgiving, right? But no, you know, that's not that's not where it's at. Actually, that's that's easy if you're already feeling kind and forgiving. The very interesting place is where you're not there yet. And um, the image that, again, I love comes from the Tibetan tradition where they say this training is like digging drainage ditches in the mind and the heart. So this is Tibet, right? And we're up in the Himalayas and it's cold and the ground is frozen. And so you could imagine how much work it would be to dig drainage ditches in that land. And that's about right. That's about how much work it is to dig drainage ditches in my heart anyway, in my mind. And so doing these, creating the intention to have kindness for this being or to have kindness for yourself, to have forgiveness for another being or to have forgiveness for yourself is a training that we just keep doing. And the phrases or breathing forgiveness in or breathing kindness out, however you do it, doesn't matter so much how you do it. What matters is that you do it. And that you do it over and over and over again. Because it again, it just chips away at it. Even when you're doing it with gritted teeth, not wanting to at all. And I I have found over the years in talking to people that it works. I don't actually say that very often about practice things. You know, do this and it will work. But I actually do think it's safe to say that loving kindness practice and forgiveness practice work. They don't necessarily work fast. And, and with forgiveness, it's particularly important to say, because some of us have had really terrible things happen. Really terrible things. You know, abuse of one sort or another, and, and really harmful things. And so it might take a long time. 
But you know, you're sitting here, nobody's jumped up and run screaming out of the room yet, and so you're sitting here at least willing to hear a talk in which the idea of forgiveness is suggested. That's a big step. And having the idea that maybe someday I could forgive this or that person, that is a huge step. And maybe that's your practice for a while. You're doing your forgiveness practice for the day, you sit down and you go, I'd really like to be able to forgive my sister or my ex-husband, whoever it is. And that's all you can do. You're not at a point where you can do it, but you'd like to do it. That's pretty amazing. So, then, (coughs) here's the other interesting place. Frequently when I talk about forgiveness, I also talk about the practice of Aikido, which is unfortunately not one that I've ever learned myself, but I know a little bit about it. And in Aikido, when the opposing force comes towards you, the notion is that you let go of that kind of contracted sense of self and get very, very, very spacious and big so that the energy coming towards you, basically you can absorb the energy coming towards you and you, you can move all of the energy, yours and the others, into a safe place. So in order to do this, in order to do this in Aikido and in order to do this in the practice of forgiveness, we have to let go of that place where it's all about I and me and mine. Because that place where the the self is very concrete and very central and where we're very protective and defensive is exactly the place where it's often hard to forgive. And the awakened heart doesn't have those kinds of boundaries in it. The awakened heart is the heart that keeps practicing. Can I open up a little more? Can I create a little more space? Can I experiment with, how about our friends this evening? (laughs) Did you have fun with that? I hope you did. You know, I was sitting here thinking, oh, you know, I wonder, is it going to start this time? After a while, I knew it wasn't going to start. Does it need an ignition, or does it need a this or that, or the other thing? And then I thought, isn't it lovely? They're out there, you know, doing their guy thing with the car, and that kind of lovely guy energy, and we're all sitting here. How many people thought to send a little loving kindness? Yeah, isn't that cool? So here they are with a bunch of people who are are doing your best to you know, include them in your heart to send some goodwill and to use them for practice because it would be so easy and some of you may have done this to kind of grit your teeth and go this is the center why don't they, why doesn't somebody open the door, why doesn't Bill Coleman over there get up and open the door and say hey, we're <laughs> meditating in here <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't do that do we, yeah. But we, you know, we could think that, or maybe you could think, how come they don't? How come they don't? They must have looked in the window down there at the end. They must realize that we're meditating. What's wrong with them? How come they do this all with whispers? It might be the fuel injection. 
<laughs> and then of course we'd probably all be sitting here <laughs> but over and over again we have these amazing opportunities to practice opening the heart so that leads me to another thing I have no idea whether this is making sense I hope it is but we'll see in the end so it does lead me to one other thing which is another teaching which I dearly love and which I again have used a lot is that the teaching which says every being on this planet is fully awakened but one you know who the one is and they are all doing what they're doing in order to help you wake up Rick Perry you know your boss your teenage kid they're all trying to help you wake up I bet you never thought of that I forget it a lot and so you know again it's that teaching of alright this is tough this person is not easy I just spent a week I have a pre-adolescent grandson so he's 11 and you know how sometimes you see families in restaurants and everybody's laughing and talking and over here there's the thundercloud you know sitting there with from his, his things in his ears and you know but what a wonderful opportunity to think this, this is a little enlightened being and he's doing this in order to help me wake up because then I respond to him differently it's a, it's a teaching that I have laughed at so many times I chuckle sometimes when I give it and when you start working with it seriously it is so hard and again it's that teaching that's about keeping the heart open because that's what forgiveness is forgiveness is not forgetting it's not pretending that something didn't happen it's not making it all nice it's simply that place where we can allow that person and that event the awareness of it the awareness of them the awareness of their suffering perhaps even the awareness of what it is in their being that created that action to still be in our heart and not to push it away and to wish them well now wishing them well might include wishing that they will become kinder or nicer or all of those things but you're wishing them well you're not sending them hate and anger and it's a very very different place so here's where I was going to begin actually when I wrote the talk and it seems fitting because the series of talks is supposed to be based on things that have been important to me over the years long before I did Buddhist practice I was working with a group of um, people Jungian people who were interested in Jungian psychology and they were also interested in um, Christian and Jewish teachings and kind of the interface of the two and in that work at one point I learned this most amazing teaching that comes from um, the Asclepian healing rites so the healing rites of the Greeks and it says 
God sends the wound. God is the wound. God is wounded. And God heals the wound. Now, you know, we're Buddhists, right? So we don't talk so much about God in here. So you can retranslate it any way you want. And what it points toward is this place where this whole process of being wounded is a place where there can also be enormous healing and it's very sacred. It's, it's a sacred process to find those places where you're wounded because those are the places where when we don't know them we act out of them and we hurt others. And to be with the places where we have been wounded and to understand that all of this and learning to allow the heart to become vast and open is a very, very sacred process and it is in fact the process of waking up. The metta-sutta ends by not holding to fixed views the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. And I understand that to mean that when we have that openness of heart, that understanding that I and me and mine, that solidity is what creates suffering, when we see that clearly, when we're not caught in all of our wanting, 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 then and when the heart is really vast and open in the way that the early lines of the sutta describe it's that point then when we're not reborn over and over again into the cycle of suffering that's the place where suffering comes to an end so I think I'll stop there that's enough of a ramble maybe and see if there are any questions or comments or confusion, because as I say, I have no idea if it's been clear or not. So, please, Sue. Um, my teacher in Burma, Sayadaw Kudala, um, went into the monastery at six, and he's so evolved as a meta teacher. Mm-hmm. He gives the ninth precept of if you're in the monastery, all. All beings take nine precepts of loving kindness. Mm-hmm. He's known as the meta teacher or the flower teacher of Burma. Mm-hmm. And he has no ill will whatsoever in his whole being. And the heads of Burma, or Myanmar, now that we are negotiating, I have seen them come down, take their shoes off, and kiss his feet Mm. because he is so full of loving kindness Mm. and joy and radiance just in his being and his presence. It's a very rare thing to Mm -hmm. experience. So that reminds me, though, thank you for that, because it reminds me of something that I had thought I might talk about and I didn't which is about my friend the Dalai Lama, another being with a great heart. Right. And so with Saida or with the Dalai Lama, certainly with the Dalai Lama, you know, the understanding is that he is the Bodhisattva of compassion. Now if you ask the Dalai Lama, are you the Bodhisattva of compassion, he'll probably say, oh no, I'm just a simple Buddhist monk. But what I really think is true 
is he takes it on as his work to do. That is what you do. Now, it's great for the Dalai Lama, it's great for Sayadaw, and take it on as a job. Why not? You know, you could go out tomorrow and be the Bodhisattva of compassion in your job. You don't have to tell anybody. I don't think it's a good idea, actually. (laughs) Do not walk into your office and say, well, I'm a Bodhisattva of compassion today because surely you will probably get tripped up sooner or later and then it will be embarrassing. But you just go, oh, you know, I could really work at this as a job description so that you could be, what did you say, the flower of metta? How wonderful. He's known as flower teacher. Flower teacher. Metaflower. Well, maybe. Well, how about just you go in and tomorrow and be a meta flower and work, you know? And but it, I and what I like about those is it gives a kind of an image, you know, a job description, a flower, and you can carry that around in your heart and mind. Is oh yeah, right. I'm trying to be a you know the loving kindness flower today. I think I better change my tune a little bit. And then that's part of the practice, and that's how this training actually happens. Yeah, thank you. Anyone else? Please. I have a question about so when I'm when I'm sitting mm-hmm. and I have you know moments like this and it comes up in my mind to say meta. Uh-huh. I feel like sometimes I might be um kind of over something that's coming up for me. And one of the ways mm-hmm. to be with that or not be with it is to send that to? Yeah. yeah. I'm kind of wondering how to work It's an interesting that. question, I think, and I'm, I'm not sure there's any one right answer. Um, one of the things I didn't say, so thank you, you're being helpful in dragging up things from the notes, is that mindfulness practice itself is a great training and opening the heart. Because what you might be sitting with is the place where you're really annoyed or maybe it goes deeper and it brings up other kinds of things that you know we don't know about. And so there you are. If you if you get busy sending metta out there, you're not going to be holding your own difficulty in awareness, which maybe is the more important thing to do. So if if your sense is, oh, what's, you know, I just need to stay with my rage and irritation and whatever it is that unpacks itself out of that, then stay there. If, for whatever reason, you think there's some sense of at least a momentary, you know, may you guys be peaceful and happy, I think that's a fine thing to do too. And I don't know that any one is better than the other. Yeah. If you were, if you were sitting a retreat and you were really working at concentration, you probably wouldn't go out there. So, so again, it's, it's also partly what your intention is for your practice at this point. Yeah. But the the practice of, of of I mean, all of the practices actually begin to open the heart because they teach us that place where we sit with what is, just as it is. We're not pushing it away, and so just that is part of the training of kindness and compassion. I know that um, somebody was saying the other night at Committed Students, I think, that Sylvia um, Burstein likes to say that mindfulness is meta. End of story. Now, I don't know whether she's right or not, but um, it's an interesting statement. It certainly has that flavor. 
Please, one more and then we'll stop. Can you talk a little bit more just about forgiving yourself? Ah. <laughs> Shall we stay all night? <laughs> forgiving yourself. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Um, certainly one of the things I see is that sometimes, you know, whoever it is that was wronged has already done for the forgiveness and we're still holding it against ourselves, right? So there's a place where we are our harshest judge. <coughs> One of the things I think is very, very important in this training, um, and I found it actually for myself, um, was at one point I did six months of doing no other practice except metta practice for me. I didn't do mindfulness practice. I didn't do very much metta practice for anybody else. I did a little, but not much. And it was a most amazing experience, and I completely recommend it to everyone. To just do your sitting every day as may I be peaceful, may I be protected, whatever your phrases are, however you do your loving things, for yourself. And do it for a period of time. Six months is probably about right. And at first, when I had started it, I thought, oh, this is, this is not right. You know, I'm not supposed to do it. This is sort of self-indulgent. But I, for some, I don't know why, I just decided it was really the right thing to do, and I did. And um, I, I found that it, it not only um, deepened my compassion and forgiveness for myself, but it also really, um, oddly enough, opened my heart much more to other people as well. So I think that's, that's that place, is really developing the place where we don't close our hearts to ourselves, because we do. We expect more of ourselves than anyone else expects of us. And the Buddha says, there is no one more deserving of your loving kindness than yourself. So, you know, that's a shocking statement, and one that really is worth sitting on and practicing, I think. Okay, um, thank you for listening. And um, there's not very many announcements. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.